morning. Um, I want to talk this morning, well, we're going to start by talking about Sears catalogs. You remember those? The old Sears catalog? My mother used to get them growing up, especially around the holiday time. And I would eagerly go through the pages of the Sears catalog and circle all the things that I wanted for Christmas. Remote control car here, Nintendo gaming system there. And I remember when I was particularly young, about like six or seven, I believe, I would even rip out the pages that had the items on it that I really wanted. And and I would keep that page in my pocket. And and then, whenever I was feeling bored, or lonely, or even maybe scared, I would pull out the page from the Sears catalog and comfort myself with my longings. (laughs) I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that's really weird. Yeah, I know, I know, and thankfully I've grown out of it. But really, really... My behavior here is really different, not that different, I should say, than how most Americans treat their stuff today. Maybe you're not carrying around an advertisement in your pocket for comfort, but many people use money and shopping and stuff as a way to cure the emptiness inside them. I want to talk this morning about this dynamic, and in particular, the unique message that Jesus has for us on this topic. We'll be focusing our attention on a reading from Luke chapter 5. It's one of the first recorded miracles in Luke's gospel, and it includes the calling of Jesus' disciples, the first disciples there. I've titled this sermon, What Abundance Really Looks Like. Please pray with me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. As I said, I want to focus our attention this morning on one of Jesus' first miracles. As is often the case with the miracles of Jesus, there is much more going on here than meets the eye. As modern-day readers of these stories, we very often make certain assumptions about what's in the passage. Oh yeah, I remember this miracle from Jesus. It's about, and then we fill in the blank. We fill in the blank with whatever seems most clear or whatever we remembered learning in Sunday school growing up or whatever we heard the pastor say most recently. But the thing is that miracles are often these big showy moments and so it just seems so obvious what the message must be. But very often, there's a lot more going on in Jesus' miracles than meets the eye. Very often, there are subtleties to Jesus' miracles that would not be entirely obvious to us as 21st century listeners. The first century individuals who saw these miracles actually happen, they would have picked up on these subtleties, but here we are today and we've got all sorts of things to distract us from what might be really important. Now, this is no one's fault. This is bound to happen when you read a 2,000-year-old sacred text. But it's a good reminder to us that reading the Bible is something we need to do carefully. Reading the Bible is something we need to pay careful attention to and look closely at each detail. And most importantly, when we read the Bible, we need to read it together. And we need to read it together because through our different observations, our different viewpoints, our different experiences, that can often change what we see by learning from each other. 
So with all that in mind, I got on a tangent there, but that's important to know. I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to read this together. Um, You can read along with me. I'll read it aloud. But open up to Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. There's Bibles in the pewbacks in front of you. It's on page 54 in the New Testament if you're using the pew Bibles. If you brought your own Bible from home, bonus points. Uh, If you want to pull it up on your phone, you can do that too. Let me read to you. From Matthew chapter 5. And if you would like to stand for the reading of the gospel, oftentimes that is a practice in churches. Feel free to stand up. Luke 5. Did I say Matthew? Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, page 54. I invite you to stand. Um, Here we go. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats. There at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put him out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down in the boat and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets in for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long. And have caught nothing, yet if you say so, I will let the nets down. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the good news, friends. It's the gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. Thanks for entertaining me on that. Yes. Now, as I said... People often read miracle stories like this one, and they jump to the most obvious conclusion. And this miracle story is no different. People hear about Jesus giving the disciples a miraculous catch of fish, and they quite simply say, oh, this miracle, oh, it's all about abundance, right? The disciples had nothing, and then Jesus came along, and now they've got more fish than they can handle. Their boats are literally sinking at the weight of the catch. Cool, cool. That's a good way to read the story. I'm okay with that. Abundance and blessing. Yeah, that's certainly something that that Jesus would want for our lives. Certainly, there's other stories in the scriptures that carry this theme. Jesus fed 5,000 people on a hillside, and there was even food left over. Yeah, another miracle about abundance. Okay. Oh, and Jesus turned a huge jug of water into some really, really good wine. Yeah, that's another story about abundance. This all checks out. Oh, yeah, and then there was that one time in the Gospel of John where Jesus said very clearly, I came so that you could have life and life abundantly. Clearly, abundance seems to be a topic that fits with Jesus. But here's the problem. Abundance is a pretty loaded term in our world today, isn't it? What does it mean to say that Jesus came to bring us abundance? Does that mean that he's going to give me a luxury car? Or my dream home? Is Jesus going to take me on a vacation? It seems to me that while all of those things sound really nice, 
the mission of God in the world. The reason Jesus came to earth was not so that I could have some nice stuff. But when we say abundance, isn't that exactly what often pops to mind? We've been hardwired to associate this term abundance with wealth. And so you'll hear well-meaning Christians who will try and tell you that Jesus performed miracles of abundance, and so that means that billionaires should keep their tax credits. <laughs> Jesus said that I came so that you may have life abundantly. Yeah, and so, oh, and so that means that I can fill my yacht with all sorts of priceless works of art, and I can take my private jet to the Caymans on the weekend to check up on my offshore accounts. Church, that is not why Jesus came to earth. This is not why Jesus died on a cross. This is not what Jesus meant when he was talking about abundance. Maybe in 2019, when we talk about abundance, we might think it means having a golden tower in the middle of Manhattan. But when Jesus talked about abundance, he was getting at something entirely different. And I want to prove it to you. Don't just take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible actually has to say. Look carefully at these details of the miracle of the miraculous catch. Let let me break it down for you. You've got these guys who are fishermen. That's their job. And and at that time, it wasn't a particularly good job to be a fisherman, but, but it was a job, okay? It wasn't what you dreamed about as a child. There were no little boys in Capernaum with posters of great fishermen on their walls, but it was a job, so you took it. And so... They're using this fishing to support themselves. And you've got these men who have been trying to catch fish all night long. And they got nothing. This is their livelihood now. That's why they've been out all night. Because they need to catch something in order to be able to support themselves. And so they're tired. And they're frustrated. And then Jesus comes along. And he steals one of their boats and starts teaching. And then he says, go out to the deep waters and drop down your nets. And you've you've got to think that there was more than a little annoyance in Simon's voice when he talked with Jesus about this idea. I I bet bet what what Simon really wanted to say to Jesus was, first off, Jesus, why don't you let the fishermen do the fishing and and, and you can do your teaching? We're not trying to teach you, tell you how to rabbi here, Jesus. We're not telling you how to do your job. Let us do our job. And number two, Jesus, number two, we've been fishing all night long, so I'm pretty sure we would have thought to look over there for some fish. But all that Simon says is, all Simon says, and you can hear the sass in his voice, he says, if you say so, Jesus, we'll put down the nets. And you know what happens next? They catch some fish. A, a lot of fish. Their nets begin to rip. Their boats begin to sink. They have to call over another boat, and that boat begins to sink as well. And so, for these fishermen, I'm guessing what they were thinking at that moment was, we're going to be so stinking rich. Because fish were their business. Fish were their income. If they caught a literal boatload of fish, that means they had a literal boatload of money. But, that's not what abundance looks like. You see, the real miracle here isn't the boatload of fish. The miracle is what happens in the hearts of Simon and James and John. I know that abundance isn't about getting lots of money because as soon as those fishermen drag their overflowing boats to shore, they left them on the beach and followed Jesus instead. They didn't quick sell all the fish and pocket the cash. 
They didn't invest the fish in a diverse stock portfolio and live off the dividends. They didn't even bet all the fish on the over and parlay that with the under in the night game. They left the fish on the shore and followed Jesus instead. Because church, that's what abundance looks like. We've gotten into a bad habit of assuming that abundance is all about money and possessions and wealth. But when Jesus talks about abundance, he's talking about an abundant way of life. Following Jesus, learning to see the world as he does, living with compassion and grace, standing up for the least of these, caring for the lowly and the forgotten, offering forgiveness, sharing generously with what you do have, committing your life to a purpose that goes beyond wealth and possessions. This is abundance. This is the abundant way of life that Jesus came to share. You see, friends, there's an emptiness that can take hold of us when we try to live for wealth alone. And it's a vicious cycle where we think that the next purchase or the next big payday is somehow going to repair what's missing within us. Philosopher Cornell West says that we have begun to think that by possessing commodities, we are possessing our very souls. But if you try and fill the emptiness inside you with more clothes or more gadgets or more stuff, you're not going to find an abundant life, the abundant life that Jesus promised. Maybe you'll get a good buzz off that new jacket, but it's only going to fade away and leave you feeling more depressed than before. We live in one of the most prosperous nations in the history of the world. And yet in this wealthy nation that we call home, over 41 million people are depressed. In our wealthy nation, one in eight people abuse alcohol. In our wealthy nation, 1.5 million people attempted suicide last year. And if you needed any more proof that abundance isn't found in wealth, then let me tell you that those rates of depression and suicide and alcohol abuse are all more prevalent in affluent families. As a country, we have been trying to fill our deep spiritual needs with money and possessions and stuff, and it's literally killing us. We are stuck in a cycle of greed, stuck in a capitalist narrative that says owning more is the only goal, and worst of all, some of us have been trying to use Jesus to justify this broken narrative. But the truth is, When Jesus invites you to follow him, he's inviting you to leave the broken narratives behind. And he's inviting you to step into his abundant way of life. That's what's happening with the fishermen that became Jesus' disciples. In those days, like I said, being a fisherman wasn't the coveted job. But here's what I didn't tell you. In those days, being a fisherman was actually a zero-sum game. You see, scholars and historians, they've done the math. People were so taxed at that point in time by the Roman government. They were so severely taxed that being a fisherman wasn't actually financially sustainable. After you sold the fish and paid the taxes, you wouldn't have had enough money to repair your nets and keep your boat afloat. Being a fisherman lost you money. It put you in a never-ending cycle of debt. And so when Jesus comes along and blesses the disciples with the miraculous catch... The miracle and the blessing isn't the fish. The miracle is that the disciples discovered a new way of life that day. A way of life that was infinitely more abundant than what they had before. 
And by choosing to follow Jesus at that moment, the disciples were saved. Saved from the never-ending cycle of fish guts and debt that they had previously been stuck in. Church, Jesus came to save you from whatever fruitless cycle you're stuck in right now. Maybe you're on a never-ending treadmill of sin. You keep falling in the same place again and again and again. Or or, or maybe you're on a cycle of self-pity. Always thinking that the world's out to get you and that you're getting the short end of the deal. Or or maybe you're caught up in the all-too-common cycle of greed. The cycle of believing that a bigger house or more stuff will finally make you happy. Whatever skipping record you currently find yourself on, the good news is that Jesus is inviting you to follow a different way. And that 